the internet is a wonderful thing most of the time. Um, I found a video, I appreciate videos when I see them of, of young people who do really adult things really well, right? And so uh, it tends to be like in the artsy world or the sporting world, right? You find that the young, they'll find a video of someone who just does something that most of us as adults could never even dream of doing, doing and, and there's something cool about that. Well, I thought I found another video like that this week until I got to the end and I realized uh, I can relate to this child more than I can others who, who do this well. This is a young person hitting a golf ball and uh, as you watch it, you're going to see that it looks as though this is going to be one of those, oh wow, look at what this kid did, but just take a look at it if you would, please. Yeah. All right, so I show that uh, because I relate to that, right? I've, I've done that, right? That's my golf game in a, in a nutshell right there. So I don't need videos of kids driving at 200 yards down the, down the middle of the fairway. That's, nobody can do that anyway, uh, but I can do that. So I relate to that well, but, but I show you that video and I, I think it links because I think um, if you've ever tried to hit a golf ball, you know, that could be a challenging thing. But we come to our memory verse for today, Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45, and there's a call in this verse that I think um, if you've ever tried to live it out, just as it's difficult sometimes at a golf ball, it's even harder to live out the calling that we read in our memory verse for this week from our Core 52 study. It says this, I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Just think about that word. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. That doesn't sound like much until you start thinking, well, well, what's God like? What does his holiness look like? And what does it mean? And, and then all of a sudden we try to begin to live that out. And we find the challenge of that to be great. When I read that verse, I feel a lot like that young person swinging the golf club, a task that seems challenging. And, and I get it all messed up so many times. It's hard to pull off. Being holy because God is holy. And how many times do I end up on my face after many failed attempts at hitting the targets. And so let's be honest, when you see the word holiness for this week, I don't know that, maybe you got really excited about it, but I bet you most people probably don't get really excited when you open up to chapter five and you find the theme is holiness. Oh, yay, that's, that's holy. That's, that's, that's not a theme that our culture really resonates with right now. It's not a theme that's popular in a lot of ways. There may have been times when being holy was a cherished trait in people's lives. And to be called holy or a holy person was meant as a compliment. But most uh, of the applications today generally don't um, mean that as a compliment. Holiness is a word that is oftentimes mocked more than it is celebrated in, a, in most circles. And sometimes even in the church I don't know why I saw this, but I, I just, on, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, I just read my chapter and, and I go to my Yahoo page just to see what's up in the news. And it gives you all kinds of things from uh, news and entertainment, all kinds of things. And there's just an article and the, the headline captured it. And I thought, this is from Tony Braxton, uh, the singer, artist. Uh, and the headline simply said, she wishes she would have had more sex, drank more alcohol, smoked more cigarettes when she was younger, but her religious upbringing held her back. And the article just went on to talk about how she regrets not doing all those fun things, and she missed out on the chance to do that. And that's kind of the way that some people feel when you think about holiness, and we think about being holy or being like God in those ways. Um, it can be a sense in which I, uh, 
oh man, I feel like I'm missing out. Um, God wants me to do these things and I'm going to do them, but I do them begrudgingly. I do them with not much joy because I look how much fun I'm missing out on. And so maybe you can resonate with that. Maybe you've resented or even rebelled against God's instructions in lots of areas that God calls us to because it felt like God was keeping us from all the fun, quote unquote. Now, while it may have fallen out of fashion uh, to pursue a holy life in our world, um, I don't think you can read your Bible very far and you realize that the mind of God, the life of following after Jesus is a life that involves a pursuit of the holy. The person who knows and loves Christ must make holiness a trait that they take seriously in their life. In fact, one of the most repeated themes of God's character uh, in all the Bible, probably I could make a case that it's the most um, highlighted traits of God is holiness. God is holy. That phrase, that word shows up more than a lot of other things that we talk a lot more about. Uh, R.C. Sproul um, once said this, only once in sacred scripture in the Bible is an attribute of God elevated to the third degree. And what he means by that is, is this. Only once is a characteristic of God mentioned three times in succession. The Bible says that God is, what's the old hymn, right? Holy, holy, holy. Repeated several different places in scripture, just talking about the nature and the character of God. God is holy, holy, holy. Not that he is merely holy or even holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. And again, we said this last week, um, but if you happen to miss it, I'll say it again. And when the Bible wants to repeat something or emphasize something, when it wants to emphasize something, I should say, it repeats it. It doesn't have bold, it doesn't have highlighters built in. When the Bible wants to emphasize something, it repeats it. And so when the Bible says that God is holy, 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 you need to feel the weight of the Bible trying to press that down into your mind. It wants you to pay attention to that. The Bible never says that God is love, 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 or mercy, 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 or wrath, 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 or justice, justice, justice. But it does say that he is holy, 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 and that the whole earth is full of his glory. And so why such an emphasis on this word? Um, and so we're going to kind of look at this from four different sides. They're all kind of linked together, but uh, the first is this. Why such an emphasis on this word holy? Number one, I think holiness is based on God's overwhelming otherness. And I don't know if otherness is a word, but go with me. You get it here, right? Holiness, the idea in scripture is based on God's overwhelming otherness. Now, oftentimes you hear holy, we just think about moral decisions, right? What's the holy thing for me to do when I'm with my money or, or whatever area of life I want to look at? But the Bible is much deeper than that. The holy is, yes, there are moral ramifications to it, but it's really about a character. It's about being set aside for something. Holiness is based on God's overwhelming otherness. Um, if you uh, use your computer, um, if most of you probably do, there is a wonderful website that is dedicated to helping you and I understand the Bible, and it's called The Bible Project. Um, a few, few years ago, uh, The Bible Project came out with a video um, on this, the holiness theme in Scripture. And I just want to show you a minute or two of that, because I think they do a wonderful job of introducing this whole idea of what does it look like for God to be holy. And I like the illustration they use, so if you'll go ahead. You've probably heard the word holy before, oh. or at least sang it in a church song on. once or twice. Or, and for most people, there you go. this idea is really just connected to being a morally good person. So 
God is holy because he's morally perfect. Yeah, that is part of it. But, but in the Bible, the idea of holiness is even bigger and more rich. What it's really describing is how God is the creative force behind the whole universe. He's the one and only being with the power to make a world full of such beauty and life. And so all these abilities, they make God utterly unique, which is the meaning of the word holy. So a helpful way to think about God's holiness is by using the sun as a metaphor. The sun is unique, at least within our solar system, and it's really powerful. It's the source of all this beautiful life on our planet. And so you could say that the sun is holy. And you can actually take this metaphor even further in that the whole area around the sun is also holy. Yeah, because the closer you get to the sun, the more intense it gets. Yeah, exactly. So that very power and goodness that generates all this life is also dangerous. I mean, the sun, if you get too close, will annihilate you. And in the same way, there's this paradox at the heart of God's own holiness, because if you're impure, his presence is dangerous to you. And not because it's bad, but because it's so good. I like that illustration as it represents the idea that I think it's more than just God makes good decisions, right? It's really about God and his nature and his otherness, right? He's not like us and we are not like him. And so when the Bible emphasizes in various places that God is holy, 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 you just get this sense in which God is other than me. And so um, that's illustrated. I'm going to share a passage with you from Exodus chapter 3. Uh, it's where Moses meets God for the first time. Now, Moses has known about God. He has lived his 80 years of his life up to the point we're going to read from here. Um, he has known of God. He has served God. He has, in his mind, failed God uh, because of some things he did in Egypt. And he's been living in exile for 40 years. Um, and in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, God calls Moses to come and serve him. But the way he calls him introduces us again to the God's holiness. Moses, Exodus 3.1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him. God's presence appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. And so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And so when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. And here's where we get to this nature of God thing. Take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy ground. Now I have to ask the question, was there something special about the ground? Or was it simply the fact that God had chosen and selected that place to appear in a moment? It's more about God's presence than it is that the dirt wasn't different in nature. It was just God's presence there, right? Because God is other. For the place you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. And so it goes on to talk about um, God calling Moses to deliver, help deliver his people. But I think in that picture, you get the otherness of God. And Moses' reaction to that is to recognize that, that God is not like me. Right? I am different from him. I am creature. He is creator. I am finite. He is infinite. Right? And all the different nature characteristics of God that are oftentimes show up. And when you see people in the presence of God throughout Scripture, you just feel that otherness, that God is not like us in any way, shape, or form. 
we are created in his image as we looked at last week, but that doesn't mean that we are equals. We're not partners in this deal. God is other. He is holy. And so he calls us to live in that. So, um, so understand that, that holiness, when you read it in scripture, it's this whole idea that God is, is, um, is completely other than us. And that's the root of that. But, but the second part of that, and you see some of that here in, in Moses' response, not only does holiness point us to something about God, but it also highlights something about ourselves. Number two, that holiness broadcasts our uncomfortable sinfulness and smallness. That when you see people seeing God, relating to God, inter- interacting with God in, in much of God's um, revealed nature, you find that there's this broadcasting of, of uncomfortableness, right? Moses saw it. What did he do? When he saw God, he hid his face because there's something uncomfortable there. I'm not like that. And there's also an awareness of smallness, but there's also an awareness of sinfulness. He is holy. He is perfect. He is righteous. I am not any of those things. And I think you see that in another situation in scripture in Isaiah chapter six, uh, the calling of Isaiah to serve, that the holiness of God broadcasts our uncomfortable uh, feeling of, of sinfulness and smallness. It allow, announces loud and clear that we are not like God in any way, shape or form. And, and again, throughout scripture with the most common reaction to God, being in, in the presence of God or his angels is complete uncomfortableness. And so Isaiah 6, you find this, chapter chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, mighty angels, with six wings. With two wings they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me. There's his uncomfortableness. Isaiah recognizes that he's in the presence of other. Woe to me, I cried. I I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So he understands that I don't I don't have a right to be here. I am unclean in so many ways. I've uh, just the words that we've said, my people, I, I live among unclean people. And yet he feels that uncomfortableness. And it goes on to say, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, it touched, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So pay attention to that verse because God is able to make the unholy holy through what he does for us, all right? But just understand that when you talk about the idea of holiness in the Bible, it begins with this whole idea that God is completely other and that we are small, we are sinful, and that contrast creates a, a struggle. It creates this tension in the Bible. So how do we become holy? How do we do what Leviticus told us to do, that God is holy, so you be holy? How do we do that? Well, one way that we try is we, we do the old pull up the bootstraps and try real hard on our own philosophy. And lots of Christian people try it that way. But there's a warning. I, wanted to, I want you to see number three. I, I, when we talk about holiness, the warning that we should all heed is beware of you-centered holiness. Beware of making this a competition to see, well, who can be like God the most on their own strength and energy and efforts? Who can, who can do the game the best? Right? If you read your chapter this week, chapter five, um, I just want to read a couple paragraphs that, that he highlights in that. Um, he says this, at its root, the word holy doesn't primarily designate sacred as much as selected. 
This is an important distinction that ultimately will affect how you view yourself. What makes an object or a person holy? Holiness happens when God takes ordinary objects and claims them for his purpose. For example, an ordinary plot of ground can become sacred if God shows up there. See Moses, right? An ordinary animal set aside for sacrifice suddenly becomes consecrated. See the rest of the book of Leviticus uh, that you took your memory verse from. A person elected by God becomes a priest or a prophet. These become sacred not because their nature becomes different, but because their purpose becomes different. In one moment, they were ordinary, openly accessed by anyone. In the next moment, God claims them for his own purposes. They're still the same stuff, and none of their physical properties have magically transformed. Holiness happens when God proclaims, not when a person performs. Our holiness is God's gift to us, not our gift to him. Holiness is received, not achieved. I grew up in a church that wanted me to learn to be holy and they loved me and they loved the Lord. But the message that oftentimes I, I got, I took away from that as a young person was make sure you try really hard and don't, don't fail. right? Don't mess this up. And so you, you never admit, you never let people see you sweat or, or fall. Or, it was just this whole idea. I forget the old mantra. We want something like, uh, don't drink, don't chew, don't go with girls who do, or something like that. That was a little phrase that we used to throw around, that, that there was a, a list of, of coded things that you should not do, right? There's a hundred other things that we wouldn't ever talk about those things. But as long as you towed the line on some of these visible things, you were playing the game. And so you were thought to be holy. And so, but then we come to a passage, a parable that Jesus tells in Luke 18. Um, and the word holiness doesn't show up here, but the word righteousness does, um, or self-righteousness, and I think it applies. Um, Luke, Jesus would tell this parable in Luke 18, verse 9, that I think speaks to this whole idea of, us, of a warning that we should all take about when we think of holiness, it ought not to be a thing where I become the energy and the effort and the, uh, the purpose of it, right? Listen to what Jesus tells in this parable. To some who are confident in their own righteousness, look what I have done, right? And look down at other, pe other people, because when I look at myself highly, I'm going to look at others lowly, right? I'm, I'm going to lift myself up by looking at those who aren't playing the game very well. But I'm doing fine, I think, in my mind. Jesus told in this parable, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. What was the center of his prayer? It was himself. God, I'm holy because I do these things and I'm thankful that I'm like that. All right. But the tax collector, the second man who came to the temple, stood off at a distance he would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Very two different attitudes before a holy God, right? One says, well, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm measuring up pretty well to your standard, right? I'm competing. I'm, I'm with you. The other says, I could never, I could never be you. I could never be like that. So I beg for your mercy and your grace to help me do it. Two different philosophies, approaches, and Jesus finished this parable by saying, I tell you that this man, the tax collector who wouldn't even look up to heaven and just cried out for mercy, I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
uh, my favorite sentence in the reading this week was just that little phrase of, of performing and proclaiming, right? The whole idea that some people approach holiness that, well, if I, if I perform, if I do enough, then eventually God will proclaim me holy. I'll play that game. It's an award that I earn by just checking all the boxes, being a good Christian person. If I can do all those things, then God's going to proclaim me holy. But that's not what Jesus has just taught us here. The flip side of this, what I loved and I would emphasize for us today, that God proclaims, I choose you, I select you for my purpose, and then I perform. I don't like that word in the context of that, but God proclaims, and then I act out of, God has chosen me out of his mercy and grace because I could never earn it, never qualify for it. God chooses me and you and says, okay, now you are my chosen man or woman. You're my chosen people. And now go act like it. Do the things that, that a holy God would do. God speaks over our life. And because I fear him and I love him, I begin to alter my thinking and my speaking and my, my acting. Everything about me starts to change and reflect my father in heaven and his son Jesus from the inside out because it's based in mercy, not based on the merits because I, I do all these good things. And that's, my, that's where my standing is. My standing is really not standing. It's, it's, it's kneeling. It's, it's a begging for mercy from God who is holy, right? And so be careful about when you think of this theme of holiness that it becomes a, a you-centered approach to your faith. But instead, I would just finish with this encouragement, number four. Instead, I would just ask all of us to bow to the gracious goodness of Christ's work on our behalf. To bow to the gracious goodness of Christ's work on your behalf. Our memory verse comes from the book of Leviticus, and Leviticus is where every good Bible reading plan goes to die, right? It's a, it's a boring book. It is just rule after rule, scenario after scenario, saying, hey, if you, get, if you touch this, if you do this, if this is happening to you, you go outside the city because you're unclean, and it's just all these long instructions based on how they're gonna relate to God in their unclean nature. And the overriding thing is, be careful, because if you touch this, or if you eat this, or you're in the presence of this, then, uh, I guess we can apply the quarantine thing. If you're in the presence of, of leprosy, or whatever the disease may be, you've got to quarantine, go outside the city for a few days, and then you can come back in. And so that thinking, it's, we relate to that, right? And so it can be dangerous for us to, well, I don't want to make a friend with someone who's unclean by whatever the standard of that, they're not living the life. And so we, we isolate ourselves or hide from whatever other things that are going on in people's life. And so all of those Levitical instructions were about trying to, to stop from being unclean or unholy, but also what do I do if I become holy, un, un, unclean in those situations? But then you keep reading and you come to Jesus and Jesus shows up and he seems to break those rules. And one of the things that the Pharisees and religious leaders didn't um, like about Jesus is that he's tended to run right through these Levitical commands that they, would, they were treasuring and they were trying their best to, oh, I would never be in the presence of a, of a sinner because I might become unclean. Jesus didn't live that way. Jesus was different. Example, Matthew 8, 3 through 4. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. 
All right, note the language of that. That's not just, uh, I've got leprosy. I'm not just sick. I'm, I'm just religiously, ceremonially unclean. I can't go to the temple. I can't go and worship God. I can't go and pray there. I'm unclean because I have leprosy and there's nothing I can do about it. And Jesus reaches out his hands and he touched the man. The fact that Jesus would touch other places, he hugs other places. He, he does things that just make people think, what in the world is he doing? It's not what Leviticus told us to do. We're supposed to shun those people. They're supposed to stay outside the camp forever. But Jesus came differently. And Jesus said, I am willing, be clean. And immediately he was cleaned of his, cleansed of his leprosy. And he gets up and he tells him to go to the temple, show yourself there. No good Jew would ever touch a leper because he would become unclean. And so uh, it was easy for them to think, well, I have to be careful. All those things will influence me. But the things worked very different with Jesus. Jesus, throughout his, his life, he was never afraid by the sin and the stain and the whatever else, the uncleanness of others that it was not going to make him unclean. Jesus came and he offered cleanness. He offered new life. And so instead of Jesus becoming unclean because he'd been touched by a leper, Jesus transformed the leper, the unclean one, to be clean. And that picture repeats itself repeatedly um, throughout the Gospels. But it also repeats itself for us. Jesus comes and he comes to us. And our temptation is to think, well, I have to make myself clean and acceptable at some level before God would ever even accept me. But the good news of the cross, if you read Isaiah 52, 53, there's this beautiful testimony of, of the one that God would send, speaking about Jesus, who goes outside the city and is taken outside the city, and all of the uncleanness, all of the ugliness, all of the sin of all of us, spiritual lepers, is put upon him, and he dies so that we might receive the righteousness that he lived with. That great transaction that the Bible talks about. And so as you think about holiness, my hope today was to encourage you not to leave here and just think, well, I'm going to do this. You can't do it. You can't. My hope today is that you would come and say, I can't, but I know the one who can. And I need that touching. I need that life that Jesus gives to me. And when he gives that to me then, out of his holiness and his righteousness, it's not an outward in thing. It's in my heart is changed. And I, out of my fear of God and my love of God and the Father and my love of Christ, he just begins to work that newness into us. And pretty soon we are different people. And so my hope for us today is that we would embrace that. And here's the verse I want to pray over here as we finish here. It's from uh, John chapter 3. It's right after John 3, 16, um, the one we all know, but I, I love the rest of that chapter. In verse 19 and 21, through 21, it, it finishes this way. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. That's Jesus. Jesus came as a light and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. In light of what we just talked about here, do you see why we respond to that way when we're confronted with the holiness of God? Sometimes it's not just 
ah, I'm just uncomfortable. Sometimes it's I hate it because I'm being confronted with my own sinfulness. The light does that. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. And so God invites us in. He invites us to say, you know what? It's quit trying to play the game that you're not smaller than God and sinful before God. Quit trying to play that game. It's time to empower hearts, to recognize like Moses, like Isaiah, like so many others, he is completely other and he is holy and I am not. So I need to surrender to him because it's in him that I find the holiness that I long for and need and he wants me to have. And so today I pray that you would just live a life where you would not be afraid of the light. The light is painful, it is uncomfortable, but it is the path to life. And may that be our prayer today. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for uh, thank you for who you are. Holy, holy, holy. We echo the angels. We echo the cry of Scripture. But Father, when we are uh, confronted with that holiness by our unholiness, our un, un, unholiness, um, there can be a temptation to pull away, to fear your holiness, to fear the light. But God, would you show us that your holiness is not something to be feared, it is something to be surrendered to. And that the life that you bring, just like the sun that we looked at earlier, that the life that you bring us changes us, it renews us, it fills us, it creates a world of life in us. And so, Father, may we be more like those who turn to the light, who are more like Isaiah, more like Moses, that we are quick to confess that, Lord, I am not holy, but it is only through your grace, your mercy, your kindness to me that I find life. And then I can begin to become more and more holy and like you. Father, forgive me for the times where I've tried to make my holiness about me and feeling good about myself because I, I did it better than maybe someone else I can look down upon. Please forgive me of that attitude. Rid me of that attitude and that spirit. And may that be the case for all of us today. May we come broken and bowed, not prideful and confident before you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.